Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you, and we certainly hope it's not your last time. And would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are. And if there's something that we could answer a question about, or if there's a prayer request you'd like to leave, we'd be happy to pray with you for that. And then if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and are so grateful that you found time to be with us today. And again, would have offered you that opportunity to use that uh, connection card to just let us know anything we need to know. But it's been a busy week here at the church. Lots has been going on. A couple things I want to share with you specifically. One, on Thursday, we hosted the evacuation drill for our local elementary school. We're a safe place in case they would have to leave the school. It was interesting to watch uh, some 200 students walk down the street and, and into our space. Fortunately, they had a police escort, and so it made the, the journey somewhat uh, beautiful on a crisp uh, Thursday morning. And they arrived here. They were very courteous. The kids were amazing in terms of their conduct and listened well. And uh, after a few moments, they uh, turned right around and went back. And in my conversations with the administrators, they were very pleased with just the whole experience and offered their uh, appreciation for being able to use our space. So that's just another way of saying thank you for your faithfulness and uh, supporting all that God's doing here at Linden Road. And then we want to mention too that this coming Sunday is the crop walk, the annual crop walk. The last number of years it's been online virtually, but this year we're gathering again. Forward to gathering at uh, two o'clock at the gazebo here in Central Park. The Crop Walk is a ministry of and has been around for, for decades as part of the Church World Service. The cool thing I like about it is the fact that they some of the money stay locally. 25% of all dollars raised stay here in Mansfield and go to the benefit of the community meal that we participate in at St. Luke's every month. It also goes to the benefit of NECIC's community gardens and a number of other food pantries. And so if you'd like to be part of that, there's a link here in the worship notes and you can click and Grateful that right now, uh, not that there's any competition about this, but it is kind of fun to be that way. Uh, Linden Road is the number one church. Out of three churches that have signed up, there's a few more that I know are working on it and will be logging their gifts, but just thank you. Thanks for your generosity. And if you'd like to be part of that, please click on the link here in the worship notes. And then I just want to give a shout out to our amazing volunteers who helped us yesterday host the uh, fourth annual National Day of Volunteer Youth Ministry Training. Man, that's a mouthful. It was great to be with other church leaders in our community, uh, people who were actively engaged in the lives of students. And for our own folks, just to uh, serve our neighbors that way. Uh, great conversation around just how do we be better volunteers? How do we be present in our students' lives? And just how do we just do this thing called faith in a new day, you know, a day that's you know, coming out of a global pandemic and thinking about how to be relevant in new and fresh ways. Great conversation. I'm really grateful for the volunteers. Really grateful that we could share with our neighbors then that way. It's a great investment and looking forward to next year. So with all that. We are in this series called God Is. This is our fourth uh, week in this. And I just have to say at the outset, it's been interesting that of all the series I've done, this one currently is getting an amazing traction on our YouTube channel. Many more views than we normally get. And I, I don't know what that points to other than I think there's lots of people who are looking to better understand who God is in this current season. 
And I say that, and yet in this message today, it's probably one that you really don't want to lean into as the previous messages, because normally when we start out a message, part of our instruction from seminary as we craft our messages is that we want to uh, offer something in the beginning to tease you and want to draw you in and to go deeper and, yet, and to create some sense of interest. Well, the truth is many of us probably won't like the theme that we're going to lean into as we talk about one of God's attributes that, that's difficult, that's one that we're not quite sure what to do with, one that many people don't want to cover. In fact, I think some would say that this attribute of God is one of his, uh, if not the least uh, popular one of who he is. And, and yet, at the same time, it's the one that's mentioned the most, some 637 times in the scripture. That's a lot. So we need to pay attention to it. But it still doesn't mean it isn't difficult to come to grips with. And so it's this attribute of God that when you experience it, much differently than what we did in the first three weeks, we talked about God's mercy, and then the second week was that God was trustworthy, or last week that God is love. It's this attribute that's going to shake us up, that will stir us, and, and the truth is it would force most of us to fall to our knees, even to fall flat to our face in worship. This attribute of God is one that you don't want to hear. Why? Well, at the same time, let me just say it this way, is that it's the attribute of God that we need the most to really give us a proper perspective on who we are and whose we are and what life is supposed to be made up of. So I may have teased you to go, hmm, I wonder what he's talking about. But the reality is what I'm talking about is this. It's about the holiness of God. So let's begin first with prayer. Father, we're grateful for the truth of your word. And so as we lean into this character of yours, this idea of your being holy, help us understand not to be fearful but to bring reverence and to bring perspective. And, and thank you, Jesus, for the role that you've played that allows us to become sons and daughters of God. And so, Holy Spirit, as we look at the scriptures, would you uh, illuminate our hearts and minds to take confidence in all that we have as your people? And we pray it in your strong name. Amen. So let's dive into scripture. Let's take a look here in the book of Isaiah. He's a prophet. And he says here in chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow. What an amazing picture that is, right? Let's give it some context. What are we experiencing here? Well, uh, the king has passed away. So this much we know about King Uzziah. He started his reign at age 16, and he reigned for 52 years. And that with his passing is the end of an era. And I'm going to guess, in, in similarities to the era that we've just seen change with Queen Elizabeth's passing, the idea that things that have been known well for 70 years because of her rule has changed and will change. And I'm sure there's some anxiety and people are concerned and maybe even a little unsettled by it. In fact, when you think about if you watched any of the images from last week as we celebrated her life, uh, the journey from uh, Westminster Abbey to Windsor Castle and all the throngs of people, literally tens of thousands of people that lined that route who were in some places that the crowd was 30, 40 people deep. 
And then the amazing display of flowers that were given in her memory and that were placed around the castle gardens there. It's, it was incredible to see that. And so when we think about the time that we find ourselves in, so there in England, I know questions are now that Charles is king, will he be a good king? And how will he rule? And what does that mean? And, and then when we think about just the time we find ourselves in this time politically and economically and even just coming out uh, near the end of the uh, pandemic, they're now starting to call it an endemic. It's amazing that what did the prophet experience in that moment? Well, he saw the, the Lord high and exalted, he says, seated on a throne, and that it was such a great throne that his robe filled the entire temple. Well, it also tells us that above him was this six-winged creature, right, called the seraphim. And what were they doing? Well, they were worshiping Yahweh. And then in their worship, the worship was so powerful that the temple itself shook. And that, again, the writer Isaiah describes to us that it was filled with smoke. Now, what's interesting is the seraphim that's mentioned here, it means the burning ones. Now, what's interesting, too, is that it's the only time that they're mentioned in Scripture. And so we're not quite sure what they look like. Here's an artist's rendering of one. What do we know about them? Well, there are six wings, right? There's two that are used to fly. And then there's two that cover their face, which would represent the idea of shielding themselves from the overwhelming glory of God. And then there's also two that cover their feet. And the reason for that is because they're positioned near holy ground. And they're singing in Hebrew uh, this word kadosh. It's a, it's a beautiful word. And yet it's this idea that they sing over and over again, kadosh, 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 or holy, holy, holy. Now, what do we know when we see words in Scripture that are repeated? It means we need to pay attention to them. And what's interesting is that the words that are repeated are there to emphasize, to say this is really, really important. And yet we know, too, Jesus, when he was making points as he taught, he would say, truly, truly, or he would say, verily, verily. Uh, and the idea is like, pay attention, pay attention. This is important. And I know as parents, we do that, right? Even this week, I was in a local school and at lunchtime, and it was a little chaotic, and it was interesting. They actually have an amplification system with the lunch duty person being able to talk over a loudspeaker. And even with that, they you know, were trying to get people's attention. But it, uh, it was re repetition, and still there was chaos. But it's interesting here that uh, this is the only attribute of God, when we look at the attributes of God, that's mentioned three times. I mean, as we've talked about in week one, the idea of mercy. We didn't talk about God's mercy, mercy, mercy. Or in week two, we talked about God's trustworthiness. Or last week, we talked about God's love. But when we talk about God's holiness, it is this, these three words together, repeated. The words, holy, holy, holy or this word kadosh, to get the emphasis. I want to say that in our culture, this idea of holiness uh, gets thrown around in a broad sort of way, or even in the church culture, right? We talk about holy communion, or we used to talk about marriage, about being at holy matrimony, although we don't hear that much anymore. Or we hear about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And I want to suggest that in our current culture, it's, it's become very secularized. You know, the, the statement, holy cow, or holy moly, or holy smoke, or, I mean, all sorts of things along that line. Or I've heard it, or I, I've heard it in an even cruder way in uh, conversations with people. 
But this idea of holy, uh, a lot of times it's, it's attributed to Christians. And in times it's attributed, it usually is one that's negative. We think about how some Christians are called holy rollers or, or the idea that some are holier than thou, which means that people are rigid and judgmental and that they're hypocritical. And yet, when we see this word holiness, when we look at it from a scriptural understanding, it means this, the idea of being set apart, or the idea that something is separate, or an even different idea is that it's like being a cut above. There's something radically different about what it is. Now, I want to draw on a story here from Tony Evans, pastors a church in Dallas, Texas, and he has a sermon where he talks about dishes, and I think this is a very appropriate analogy here. He says that in his home, and he says actually in most homes really, there are two types of dishes. There are the regular dishes, and that's the ones that you use for your evening meal or your, your breakfast or your lunch, and it's the one you don't worry about squirting ketchup on, and you just sort of get it out of the cupboard and work with it. He says those dishes are they, they're for the average meal. They're for normal days, just the way life works, for your ordinary and unimpressive meals that you eat, he says. Now he says, too, probably your dishes at home, uh, some of these dishes are chipped, right? Or they might even have a crack in them. And if they are, you don't really worry about them if you have to throw one away because they weren't that special to begin with. But then he says this, he says that there's another type of dish. He says it's these dishes that they're the ones that don't even see the light of day until a tall green tree with multicolored lights flicker them onto the dining table. He says something significant has to be happening under the roof to make the use of these dishes necessary. And when all is normal again, and when the candles have been blown out and the wrapping paper has been scattered and collected, and that the guests have finally gotten up from the table, it's these dishes, after being cleaned, they're not placed in, in the cabinets where the, the other dishes are, the normal dishes. Those are too typical and regular for their company, he says. He says they're placed in an entirely different cabinet that may be in an entirely different room, and they're separate from everything else. There's nothing like them because there's nothing like them in the house. And they're set apart, they're unique and they're different and they're even what he says are other. They're distinct. They're cut off from what's considered common. And he says, finally, to put it metaphorically, these dishes are holy. Now that's a crude analogy compared to God, but I think he's trying to get our minds to see that there's this distinction that we need to understand. So again, you know, the idea that we're wrestling through is that God is separate, that he's different, that he's distinct that he's set apart from, that he's set apart from what? Well, from everything else, right? Uh, the writer of Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 says this, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Because we need to see here that God is completely and thoroughly and fully and entirely holy. And what that means is that he's all good, that he's pure and that he's righteous and he's perfect and he's without fault and he's without blemish. And what that means in his character is that he's infinite and he's immutable and he's immeasurable and he's incomprehensible. And then we also have to say that he is self-existent and that he's self-sustaining and that he's self-sufficient. And what that means, when we unpack it even further, is that God has wisdom that he didn't need to learn. 
that God has strength that he didn't need to earn. And what that means finally is that God has love that he didn't have to receive to know how to give. Now, who is this God? Well, he is the God who was and is and is to come is what the scriptures tell us. And we're reminded that there is no one like our God. Now let's continue here with our friend Isaiah, the prophet. In chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Wow, what a beautiful picture that is. Now, what's interesting, right, and as we see Isaiah's encounter with God, is he doesn't join the seraphim praising God, holy, holy, holy. The exact opposite happens. He doesn't worship. He falls flat out, and he confesses his sin and says, woe to me. In fact, he says, I'm ruined. Now, what's interesting in this encounter is that God doesn't say a word. He just was there. And so what that means for us, it's his presence alone that was enough to convict Isaiah that he needed to have forgiveness. He says what? I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, what's amazing is he's a prophet. And so his lips are actually ones that are supposed to be set apart to do God's work. And yet in this moment, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. I think it's powerful here to be reminded that Billy Graham says this, Only when we understand the holiness of God will we understand the depth of our sin. Now, the amazing thing about this, and what we see here when Isaiah confesses his sin, it's interesting, he confesses his sin first, acknowledging his own inadequacies and his own brokenness before he acknowledges the sin of the community. And he says what? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people that are unclean. Which I think reminds us that the times we live in and the people that we live with, that there's a lot of folks around us that tend to be self-righteous. They have this opposite opinion. Well, everyone else is a sinner, but not me. Yeah, I've not done anything wrong, but everyone else is wrong. And I think that's that messiness that has really created part of the disconnect that's with many churches today in our culture. Because this idea of self-righteousness can only be possible when we compare ourselves to other people. Because like the prophet of old, when we step into the presence of God, we need to be worried about our own sin and very much aware of the fact that we're broken. Again, how did Isaiah respond? He's like, I'm ruined, I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm destroyed. And what's amazing is when we see Isaiah's story here, he doesn't negotiate with God. What does he do? He flat out repents. And yet we see here that God does what? It's a beautiful story where God then sends the seraphim with a burning coal and that seraphim that angel touches his lips and what does he say verse 7 again your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for oh wow that is so amazing the awesomeness of god god's goodness and to be reminded that he initiates the atonement he brings it to isaiah which is the story we know well right paul when he writes to the church at rome reminds us in verse 8 of chapter 5 that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. So when we think about this idea of who is God, what do we understand? Well, we know that he's holy, holy, holy. 
I want to tap into another person that's pretty smart about this, and I really like the way they've laid out this understanding. Uh, a woman that I've come to respect, it's had a huge impact, who's uh, the next generation of Christian leaders. Her name is Jackie Hill Perry. She has an amazing story. But she has a recent book that came out about a year ago called Holier Than Now. And what Jackie does in that book is she walks us through Scripture where she wants us to shake off the dust of this idea of holy as we've come to know it and reveals what it really is, is that it, for us it means that it's good news. It's not something we should be afraid of. It's something that really offers us life. And she spends some time unpacking what God is like and that he is different and that he is holy. And so just check out these words from her. Why another book about holiness? Don't we have enough options? Don't we have enough books to choose from? And sure we do. But is there ever enough content uh, that we can consume about the holiness of God that isn't beneficial for us? Uh, for me personally, I've read a ton of books about holiness, but one thing that I, I thought was missing was the beauty of God's holiness and how that's an incentive for my faith. For so much of my Christian walk, holiness was always framed very negatively. It was, okay, God is so holy, God is so pure, and he hates sin, and because he hates sin, he's gonna judge sin, and you're a sinner, so he's gonna judge you. I think even when becoming a believer, it can be a topic that you're hesitant to wanna to engage with. Until I started to ask myself this question, I said, okay, if God is holy, then that means he can't sin. If God can't sin, that means he can't sin against me. If God can't sin against me, Shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? When I, when I thought about that, I realized that my definition of holiness was too small. His holiness is the reason he's trustworthy. And at the bottom of all of our failed attempts to be holy is a lack of faith, is a, is a lack of trust, is that we've trusted in broken cisterns to be what they can. And so what we don't need is more books about what we should stop doing, although they're helpful. I think what we need are more books that show us the beauty of God and that by seeing the beauty of God, we want more of God. And by wanting more of God, we trust God. And then by trusting God, we start saying no to other things because we realize they're not better than God. They, they, they don't compete with God because there's, there's nothing that can compare with God. And, and it's in this dance where I'm now satisfied with the beauty and the holiness of God that I become holy like him too. And that's the whole point of this book. That's, that's the whole point of holier than thou is to present a true and authentic picture of God, that he is the most beautiful being that has and will ever exist. And for that reason, he is eternally worthy of all of our trust. So what Jackie wants us to see is that holy is the best news that we could have hoped for. In fact, I like this quote from her again, that if God is holy, then he can't sin. And if he can't sin, then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, 
Shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? Whoa. That's amazing, right? What she wants us to see and what I think Scripture wants us to see is that because God is holy, because of who he is, that we can trust him. When we see those words, holy, 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 to emphasize his character, it means that he, as God, can only do good. It means that he, as God, that there's no darkness in him. It means that he never sins. It means that he, as God, cannot lie. And it means at the basic level for all of us as human beings is that we can trust him. And what's interesting as we continue this story is then what happens for Isaiah Because the prophet goes on in verse 8 and says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the prophet says, And I said, Here am I, send me. Because what does that mean? Well, it's simply that because of what God has done, Isaiah can now have confidence to step out in faith and go where God is sending him. Even though he's a man of unclean lips here in the earlier part of chapter 6, that if we flip to chapter 7, just one chapter later, Isaiah lays out for us a prophecy some 700 years before Jesus Christ is born. And what does he say? We hear this every year at Christmas. And he says here in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I mention it many times, right? It's Peterson's version in the message of John chapter 1. We're reminded that Jesus takes on flesh and moves into the neighborhood, that God walks amongst us, that he's God in the flesh, and that he's holy, and that he's perfect, and that he's loving. And to be reminded in all of that, that he doesn't come for those that are righteous, but he comes for those that are unrighteous. And to be reminded that he doesn't come for those that are holy, but he comes for those that are unholy. And then finally, he doesn't come for the healthy, but he comes for the sick. Now, the reality is in our culture right now, as we look at these things, there's a lot of people that are leaving the faith. In fact, we know as we come back from the pandemic, as we lean into this next season, as we try to return to life as normal as we knew it before, uh, two and a half years ago, we know too that the church isn't what it was in its presence in our community. And it's interesting that the Pew Research folks are talking about how Christianity is gonna be radically changing if nothing changes by 2050, that the number percentage of Christians is going to be less than half. And we see that with since the return from uh, the lockdown, that in many churches have struggled to see uh, even 50% of what attendance was. We know that attendance in church was already going in a direction that showed that things weren't healthy. And yet, when we think about that, particularly when we think about the character of God, because there's no one like him, particularly when we think about the God of Scripture, because I don't know where else I would go if it wasn't for who God is. It's interesting that the writer of Psalms chapter 35, probably King David, says this, With every bone in my body I will praise him. Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and the poor from those who rob them? Right? I mean, let's think about this for a moment. Who else can save you? Who else can heal you? Who else can forgive your sin? Who else redeems you? Who else restores you? Who else can bring comfort? Who else will never leave you? Who else is for you? 
Because we're promised out of Scripture, right? That if God is for you, who can be against us? And then finally, this idea that, you know, who is God? Well, he is holy, holy, holy. And so as we think about this attribute of God this week, that when you experience his holiness, I pray that it will stir you and that it will shake you and that it will shake you in a way that gives you pause to be reminded of all that he's done for you and that he will uh, bring you to a place to worship him, that we can fall on our knees in repentance because we know there's no one like him and what he does for us, that God is holy, holy, holy. our God, as we understand his holiness and the place that he's called us to, there's a practical way that you can show your neighbors how you love them and then want to offer them. And so I would invite you again to click on the link here and support the crop walk coming up 
next Sunday. And then on all these things, as you lean into the week ahead, to be reminded that you've been blessed to be a blessing. So go forth and serve Christ in his name. Amen. Have a great week.